The audience doesn't want the middle. They want new and different. And to do that, to swim against the current, you need to be creative. And to be creative, you need a touch of the madness. I'm your host, Anna Malikian. And before we start, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone to access all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get the free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. Today, our special guest is Lawrence Kazanoff. Larry is a legendary movie producer. He's, he made movies like Platoon, Terminator 2, True Lies, Dirty Dancing, and Mortal Kombat. And he made animated movies like Lego, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Out, and theme park rides like Marvel Super Heroes 4D and The Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man. Kazanoff knows firsthand that Massive success requires taking big risks. It means embracing your crazy side, the most creative, unique, and boldest part of you, and your greatest asset when it comes to creating something truly original is a touch of the madness. And a touch of the madness is also the title of his new book, so welcome to the Mindset Zone. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And uh, your book is being released uh, one week from the time that we are doing this recording. So when people are listening to this, they can at least pre-order in Amazon or getting it in that day in any bookstore. And I'm curious because you are quite busy with the movies, with everything that you do. Why did you decide to write this book? Because I found in the last few years that people, not just in my business, but in every business I encountered, were a little scared of being their most creative selves. I came across so many people who said, you know, I have this idea, I want to start a bakery, but I don't know, I can't do it, it's the wrong time, what if I get criticized, what if I get canceled? And I just start, started seeing it so much, I thought maybe, just maybe... I can help inspire people to be their true passionate creative selves. And that's it. That's all I want to do. And that's why I did it. And uh, in the book, you tell so many stories from when you start professionally in the movie industry, how having that patch of madness was in many ways the secret of your success. Yeah, I think it was. I, I learned it very, very early and. And I've stuck with it, and it's really been my touchstone the entire time. The river of life will always try and pull you towards the middle. Everybody, every company, every creative process, every person, the current of the river of life will always pull you towards the middle, which is okay if you want to live that kind of a life. But if you want to really succeed in business or in whatever else, the audience doesn't want the middle. They want new and different. And to do that, to swim against the current, you need to be creative, and to be creative, you need a touch of the madness. You need that little spark of craziness, not just in your idea and the way you hang on to it and the way you never let it go. And in the face of everyone telling you you're nuts, you keep going and going and going. That's what you need. That will keep you away from the middle. 
And that uh, you tell me in the book that it starts, I think, in your 20s when you are in your first movie job creating a ton of movies for this company. And you had the opportunity of doing something different that became an incredible success. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. I got, I wanted to be a movie producer since I was a little kid and I got very lucky. And right out of grad school, I got a great job for an independent film studio in the 1980s called Vestron. And I was head of production and acquisitions. And Vestron at the time was like Netflix today. It made a ton of movies. It was riding on the wave of the boom in home video and DVDs, just like Netflix is riding in the wave of streaming. So I had to make 80 movies a year, eight zero. And I was a kid, buy them, make them, co-produce them, do whatever the hell you want. Don't lose money. So we made horror films and low-budget action movies and rom-coms. But then I got a script for a movie called Platoon. And this was not one of those kind of movies. It was a very serious film, but the Vietnam War and the effect it had on the kids went. The tagline was, the first casualty of war is innocence. It, the people in it weren't stars. They became stars, but they weren't. And the director, Oliver Stone, phenomenal director. We had done a previous movie of his called Salvador, which I thought was great, but didn't make money. So my boss said, you're nuts. This is not, again, you're crazy. This is not what we do. And I said, yeah, but I really want to do it. And I fought for it. And he said, okay, you're the head of production. It's your decision. But there's always a but. If it fails, you're fired. What do you do? And so I, you know, I had the greatest job in the world. But then I thought, well, I didn't get into the movie business to play it safe. So I greened the platoon. When I saw the movie, uh, they showed it to me early one morning in Italy at a film market. I was the only person to giggle their way through this first screening of Platoon, not because it was bad, because it was so good. I was going, oh, my God, I'm not getting fired. I'm not getting fired. And it was so good that it won Best Picture at the Academy Awards that year. A few months later, I ran into the director at a bar in New York, coincidentally. He bought me a drink and he said, you know, kid, I always liked you. You have a touch of the madness. And I thought, a touch of the madness? Is he calling me crazy? Am I crazy? And I thought, well... My boss was kind of crazy to give a 25-year-old kid the responsibility of running an 80-picture film slate. He was sort of had a touch of the madness, Oliver, by insisting on doing a Vietnam movie in a way no one ever had. And I had a touch of the madness by betting the best job in the world on this. And that's when it occurred to me that innovation and creativity demands a touch of the madness. And that's the way to swim away from that current that will drag you towards the middle. And that's what I've done ever since. I love it. And in your book, you speak about this, there are this creation, there is the asking and there is the play. So can you tell right. us a little bit about those three kind of... Sure. So, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, have a touch of the madness and just... So the point is, I think there's three steps to it. How do you do it? The first thing is you have to create your idea or what you really want. And then, and there's two really, there's a lot of steps to it that are in the book, but there's two really important ones. One is... You have to know the essence of what you want. When I made Mortal Kombat into a movie, it, all video games and movies had failed. And everyone told me I was crazy. And it would, my career would be over too. But I never thought I was making Mortal Kombat video game into a movie. I thought I was making the essence of Mortal Kombat into a movie. And I thought the essence was empowerment. That's why I thought the game worked. And once you get the essence of something, so it's not a video game, it's that empowerment. And then you can make it into video games and movies and TV shows and animation, which is what we did. And then the second thing you need to do, once you grab the essence, this is why I'm doing it. This is really what I'm doing. You have to never, ever, ever, ever let go because that current will come and try to pull you away again. So when we did Dirty Dancing, it was a movie that another studio had started and stopped. No one wanted it. We took it and started it and it wasn't going that well. And we managed to lure to our company a music and producing legend named Jimmy Einer who came to oversee it. 
And Jimmy brought in another legend of music supervisor named Michael Loy. So now that Jimmy and Michael Loy were in charge of Dirty Dancing, the whole thing changed. And the first thing they did was to look at the song, Time of My Life, which is the most famous song from the... But when they got it, when they were presented with, it wasn't the song you hear now. It was a high falsetto disco song. And they didn't want that. So they re-recorded it. No one wanted to do it. They got a very great singer named Bill Medley of an old group called the Righteous Brothers to do it. And then they sent out the new recording to everybody, the talent managers, the director of the movie, the record company, no one liked it. Everyone said, no, 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 Jimmy and Michael, you got to make a million changes. You got to do this. You got to do that. Please change this. And they were so nice. And they wrote back to everyone saying, no problem. We'll make the changes. Got it. A few weeks later, they sent out version two and they said, we hope you like it. And by the way, we sent it to some radio stations. In those days, radio stations really helped you promote a song. And uh, they like it. And they got glowing results back. People said, thank you so much for doing this. This is great. We love what you did. We love the changes. This is great. This is going to be a hit. So the question is, what musical genius did Michael and Jimmy put into the song from version one to version two to change everyone's mind? What did they change? And here's what they changed. They changed nothing. They didn't change a thing. They just changed the date, version two. And they doubled down. They sent it to more people, to the radio station. So in the face of everyone saying, we don't like this, change it. They said, well, we're going to send it to the, to the press, essentially. And then when people, and then when, you know, they got the note that they liked it, people loved it. And they didn't change a thing. That's believing in your idea. And in that song, by the way, that year, won the Grammy for Best Song of the Year, and it won the Academy Award for Best Song of the Year because they didn't change. So that's create. The second thing is ask. You have to be willing to ask anybody, anywhere, any place for anything you want and ask and ask and ask and ask again. There's a million examples of it, but a good one is during the pandemic a few years ago, we made an animated movie with Universal called Bobbleheads, you know, characters whose heads bobble. And we wanted Cher, the iconic Cher to be in the movie, which everyone said you'll never get so we called, and long story short, we asked and asked, and we got Cher to play not only her voice, but her likeness. It's bobblehead Cher. She's the highlight of the movie. She's great. When the movie came out, People Magazine said to Cher, you've never done an animated movie. Why did you do this one? And she said, I've never done an animated movie before because no one ever asked me. I did. So if Cher, one of the most iconic women on earth, is sitting there and no one ever asked her, can you imagine all the people in your life who's ever listening or watching this, thinking, well, I'm not calling them because I, I can't, they won't, they got to have a million people call. Well, Cher didn't, so call them. So then I would say to people listening right now, if you could call one person in the world right now and ask them any question, who would you call and what would you ask? And most people don't know. And the reason they don't know is because they don't think they can. Well, I'm telling you, you can't. I've been doing it since college. Do it, call somebody, start small. Maybe it's not the number one, just try to call somebody. And then finally, play means if you can do it all in a state of play, because if you have a good time, you'll be more open, you'll be more creative, you'll be more mindful, you'll be more receptive to crazy ideas. So that's a very short description. Yes, of <laughs> but a powerful one and it really a taste for people to grab the book, because I think you tell so many stories that illustrate this point so well. And you also speak about in the movies, the evolution of technology and that tech should not drive, but we can use the tech to make the point, to enhance the story. And you also speak about the evolution that the, one of the stories that you tell of the panther that is really fun 
that maybe you were going a little bit too far and you had to scale back. So tell us that story, because I think that is a great story. Well, one of the things we, we, I talk about in the book is, you know, I have a chapter that says a touch of the madness versus a ton of the madness. I mean, when can you go too far? So when we started the first Mortal Kombat movie, we there's a character in Mortal Kombat called Goro, who's an eight foot forearm creature. He's a very elegant guy. He's the general of the armies of the Shokan, which is another parallel dimension. And we made one of the last animatronic suits, meaning this was an actual mechanical creature versus a digital one. From then on, it became digital. And it was great. And it was very advanced. And the tech guys who made it were fantastic. And I thought, you know what would be even better than this guy, Goro, walking around our set? What if he had a pet panther? And in those days, again, it was a little before all the digital stuff. So we would actually get panthers. You know, they were now they're all digital, but we would actually get panthers. And there was a place near here, near L.A., with it, rented animals for the movies. And they had in their front yard a pet panther. I used to go play with all the time before this all happened, named Paco. So we bring Paco. I think this is all great. Well, you, you, Goro will have a panther. The, the, the panther people like it. The, the Goro people like it. I like it. The studio likes it. You know who we didn't ask? Paco. <laughs> he, Paco took one look at this lumbering, massive, four-armed creature. He went nuts. Poor Paco went crazy. And no matter what we did, we couldn't calm him down. And so we deemed on the one hand, it probably, well, we could keep it safe. It wasn't fair to poor Paco. So that was maybe a little a little too much. But, you know, I'm bad again. Yeah, who, who knew? <laughs> but we wanted to keep Paco. And you had to try. And speaking about this, because nowadays the big thing that everybody is like looking in a scary, many in a scary way, others in a, oh my gosh, what, how is going to be the future is the AI and shifting to artificial intelligence. Just focus on the movies. What do you think that is going to change in movie production, in the movie making with AI? You know, I have a speech which the title of the speech is AI, there's a lot of opportunity before the machines take over. <laughs> so <laughs> in the very long run, who the hell knows? I mean, the movie I was involved in Terminator 2, that's what it's all about. So for me, it's a little strange because stuff that we were working on in a script years ago now is real life. But who knows what might happen long in the future? I certainly don't, but I know a little bit about the movie business. And for the movie business, I think AI is fantastic. I was very lucky that I've been involved in the nexus of a lot of technology and entertainment. So the advent of home video, the advent of video games, the movies, I did the first one. Terminator 2 was the first extensive use of digital technology or morphing in a movie. I, I did the first 3D Steadicam shot, I mean, movie 3D shot on the Star Trek project. I've done a lot of that. Um, AI is a fantastic tool. And just the way that the digital technology, which didn't exist really until Terminator 2, is a fantastic tool. It simply enables you to do things you can't do without it. So why do we need that? One, because it's better technologically. It's better. All we want to do is tell better stories. And two, because from a business point of view, blah, 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 there's only one problem with the movie business right now. Everyone says there's a ton of them. There aren't. I mean, great movies do great. Look at Barbie and Oppenheimer. People love to go to great movies. Problem with movies is they cost too much money. And everyone wants more money. There's strikes now. But the way you get more money is to make movies cost less. Well, AI can do something in an hour or a minute that it might take someone else a week or a month or a year to do. And they can, and some of those things can be done really well. That's great. And so we want to say, oh, my goodness, but what about? Well, that's just the history of the world. I mean, 
you know, when the Industrial Revolution came in, there were people who stopped working in certain other jobs. When cars came, it wasn't so great probably if you were a horse and buggy driver. But this is just progress and this is just what happens. But AI is a fantastic tool and that's all it is. It's just a great tool. The same way digital technology is a tool, a moving 3D steady cam is a tool, the motion uh, control camera, which George Lucas invented is a tool. They're tools to tell better stories and it works. It's fantastic. So we should embrace it like crazy, love it, be thankful for it, and stop being scared of this big, bad boogeyman because what have we been scared of morphing? What have we been scared of, of all kinds of other digital technology? It's great. I read a ton of history of the movie business. When they invented sound pictures in the 1920s, people were having the same conversation. You ruin everything. I'm like, Are you kidding me? We can't do this. Color in movies. Television was going to destroy movies. We, this comes every single time. It's no different than any of those. And I will add that mindfulness, that is another topic that I know that you are passionate about. You speak it about that in the book. Is even more important with all these advances in technology. Will you agree with that? I totally agree with that. I, I love all these advances in technology. I embrace them. I try and pioneer them. I do a ton of stuff with them. On the other hand, for me, I'm not preaching this because I don't think I'm qualified to. I believe there's a yin and the yang. I mean, I live by the ocean. I meditate every day. I do a lot of mindful things. I think you have to have a balance. And I think that the more you do things technologically, I would suggest the more you should do things mindfully and in nature. I think that's just a good balance of how to live. It doesn't mean one's better than the other or one's bad. It just means I, I happen to think a, a balance is good. That's what I think mindfulness helps you do. But that's just my opinion. And take us to the moment that you became curious about mindfulness. I'm speaking about, first, it's another story about you asking without knowing right. if you are going to add a yes. Tell us about right. that story. So years ago, when I was totally frantic, I have a lot of energy, but even more so than then now I didn't know how to control it. And um, I read a book by Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh, I'm sure your viewers know, um, is a, is, was a very, very, very well-known and peaceful and gentle and wise Zen master Buddhist monk who was credited for bringing mindfulness to the West. He's written over 100 books. He was nominated for Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King. And so what did I do when I read a book? Just coincidentally, by this gentle, peaceful Zen master, I called him up and asked him if he could be inspiration for a character in my ultra action film Mortal Kombat movies, which is the opposite of you know, what he was doing. But he said, sure, come see me. After spending two, three hours with him and some of the monks and sisters, I felt like I'd been on vacation for a year. I said, what's your secret? And he said, no secret, practice. And I said, I could learn to be this way? And like I could learn this? Because, you know, I was so frantic then. And, and we became friends. And I saw him all over the world. He came to my house with his monks. He gave speeches to other people in the movie business I arranged. We just became really good friends. And I started practicing mindfulness. And then he asked me to do a documentary on his teachings, which I did, called Mindfulness, Be Happy Now, which is on Gaia and Amazon. And it resulted, the ask resulted not in my original intention, but I think you have to be very open to where that might take you, but to a lifelong friendship. And I'm still, Ty passed away a year ago, but as he said, there is no birth, there is no death. He's just, you know, in a different form. The waves don't go away, they just change. It was a great opportunity and it changed my life because it gave me not only lifelong friendships, but a lifelong practice of mindfulness, which I still do every day. And I highly recommend the documentary, Mildness, Be Happy Now. 
and because it's not your most well-known movie. No, it's <laughs> but not. I will argue that can be one of the transformational ones because it's so powerful that, and I love the focus on the breath. So happiness is just one breath away. So in your day-to-day, -day, do you have a ritual for practice mindfulness? Because I think many people understand the importance, but it's difficult to practice in the day-to-day. -day. How in your busy, busy life can you keep practicing? Well, I had this two ways. One, you know, Ty would say, if you take one more deep breath today than you took yesterday, that's great. Just anything you do. When Oprah started her network, I took Ty to be interviewed by Oprah and I sat next to him the whole time. And she said to him, how often do you practice mindfulness every day? And he said, everything I do, I do mindfully. So everything is meditation. And so Ty taught me that you, know, you can do a hundred things during the day, as long as you do them one at a time and mindfully. So that's really what I tried to do. I no longer type emails while I talk on the phone and have a meeting at the same time. I do. I try to just do one thing at a time. I mean, I meditate every day. I spend a lot of time in nature. I do things like that. But sometimes it's just one minute. You know, I, I see this wonderful uh, mindfulness. He calls it a stillness coach named Jim George, who has an app called Still Life. And he teaches me to just stop, to stop, stop, stop. So for example, you know, if your brain is saying stop, take a deep breath and go on. 30 seconds in an airport. But if you ask ourselves, how often do we really take a deep breath every day? And you, we really don't. And you think to yourself, well, I should be able to do that once an hour. But even that, you kind of forget. So I try and do a lot of little mindful things during the day. Just little things, even if it's in a, a, a minute, an hour. And something that captures our attention, just be with it. Just appreciate that. Uh, can be we notice a flower, we notice a right, little bird. Right. Uh, um, something just being that moment, I think, makes all the difference. One time, I was uh, Ty was interviewed. Ty and I were being interviewed by the outside by the LA Times, and when the interview was over, the reporter said, "Do either of you have anything else to add?" And it was about the documentary. And rather than saying, "Well, get our documentary on Amazon," Ty said, "Do you notice how beautiful the trees are today?" And that's just how he thought. Coming from me, it might sound a little corny. Coming from him, it was beautiful. And that's just it. I live on the beach. And if I'm on a crazy phone call or something, if I'm home, I just look at the waves or a little seal swims by. And that's great. 30 seconds can just change you. So I try and do that as much as I can. Yeah. And be with nature is one of the ways of uh, it's just paying attention, just opening our senses. We will find something interesting to pay attention to. That's right. I will make sure that I will put all the links to your book, to the documentary, to even to this Thank app you. that you just told, still live. So what can people do to cultivate or to nurture that touch of madness in their lives? I think the first step, the first thing to try is asking. Because when I said, who would you call and what would you ask them? So maybe... You know, your real answer when you think about it as a world leader and you're a little intimidated to do that. Start smaller. Maybe it's that uncle you haven't talked to in a while. Maybe it's the guy down at the deli who you wanted to ask a question to because you like stats. Or I, try, try small. Just try. I would challenge people watching who want to start this practice of a touch of the madness. Just try. This week, try. Call one person or read. Now you can call, you can text, you can email, you can do it so many ways that you don't know that you want to ask some question to and ask. 
just try and see what happens. Love it. The other, the other thing you can try is at work, do something fun. I don't know where you work, but maybe you get your group to go bowling or maybe you all take them still the summer. Maybe you take a frozen yogurt break during the day and have a, 15 minutes. Just try and see how the day changes. And I love that because I think you speak about steps, but I think it's really a circle because it's by being more in the playfulness in the moment that allow us to be creative. And then we have to That's ask exactly. to make things happen and then allow that space for creativity again. That's exactly right. You know, if it's a game, it's more fun. You know, when we do podcasts and everything, I, I think sometimes it sounds like everything I do works out and everyone says, yes, it doesn't happen. People say no to me all the time. I mean, we're trying to get the Pope to help us with something and he keeps saying no, but we have these lovely letters, but it doesn't deter us. No is just the beginning. But I mean, it's not like people don't say no all the time. I'm going through something this weekend where people say no all the time and it happens. It's just the game. You know, that's like saying I'm a football player and that those guys keep trying to tackle me. Well, of course, it's just it's, the game. It just go away. It's part of the game. So where can people learn more about you? Uh, a touch of the madness.com. So it's the best the website. That's the best website. And that website links to our speaking website, at least the Thrush Entertainment, the links to all kinds of things. Perfect. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I had a great time. And I think it's great what you do. And I think it's great you're so into mindfulness. Thank you for listening. And remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources. All at mindset.zone. And if you want to get a free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world.